in, everybody. Another edition, a week nine edition, college football betting. I'm your host, Aaron Torres. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is ready for what should be another really fun weekend of college football. It's interesting because this is one of the few weekends we've had this year. Doesn't feel like there's that super marquee game on the docket. A few weeks ago, we had Texas, Oklahoma. Then it was Washington, Oregon. Then it was Penn State, Ohio State. This week, a lot of very interesting games, but not mega, mega, mega games. But these are the weekends where things get crazy and weird stuff happens, and we're going to break it all down. Oregon, Washington, Florida, Georgia, A&M, South Carolina, Ohio State having to go to Wisconsin, Kentucky, Tennessee, maybe even a little Colorado at the Rose Bowl. Lot to dive into, lot to get into. Before we get started, a couple quick things. One, I know I say it every week. Thank you for your support of college football betting with Aaron Torres. Show numbers have been great this year. Truly appreciate everything that you guys do, all your support. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Also, College Football Betting YouTube channel with Aaron Torres. Make sure to subscribe there. Closing in on 1,000 subscribers. Let's get those numbers up. Really appreciate your support. Also, before we get started, the announcement that we have shared with you for a few weeks. We are so fired up about this. College Football Betting, Aaron Torres Pod, Aaron Torres Media, all things Aaron Torres. We have partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. That is right. Legal sports betting has come to the state of Kentucky. And here's the cool part. DraftKings Sportsbook has an incredible offer for listeners of this show. First-time customers, this is what you got to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game, and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code Taurus. That's right. It's that easy. It's that simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. First-time customers, bet $5 on any game. Get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code Taurus can bet on college, can bet on pro, can bet on football. By the way, you don't have to be in the state of Kentucky. I'm just saying that legal sports betting just launched. Point being, DraftKings, they're our partner. So excited to be working with them. Download the app, promo code Torres, bet five, get 200 in bonus bets instantly. All right, with that said, let's jump into this week nine slate, last week of October. And as I said, a lot of really interesting games to get into. Only two top 25 matchups. One of them, Duke-Louisville, respectfully. Duke-Riley Leonard, we don't really know what's going on. We'll get to that one later. But where I want to start is with the other one, and this is a big one. Oregon at Utah. Oregon is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. So not only is Oregon favored, but they're favored by close to a touchdown. The over-under in this game comes in at about... Let's see. I want to make sure I have the most updated number here. 48 points. So obviously two great defenses. Everybody expects a close back and forth game. What's interesting about this one. First of all, what I would say, a couple things stand out to me. One, this has just been a very interesting rivalry. If you want to call it that over the last couple of years, remember it was the 2021 season, uh, Oregon last year with Mario Cristobal as the head coach go into November with a chance to make the college football playoff, go to Utah, get destroyed. Then, oh, by the way, meet a few weeks later in the Pac-12 championship game, Utah destroys Oregon again as Mario Cristobal is deflecting questions about the Miami coaching job. Why do I bring it up? It was because last year, you remember what happened last year? Oregon again entered November with a chance to make the college football playoff. One loss. They lose to Washington late, weird injury to Bo Nix. 
come back the next week and take care of business against Utah. Yet somehow Utah still advances to the conference championship game and wins. So Utah's the two-time reigning champ, but this has been a weird back and forth series where you don't really know what quite to expect. And I think this game speaks a lot to that. Speaking of this game from the Utah perspective, listen, they're back at home, but I think we all kind of know what the questions are about this team. They're obviously great defensively, but is the offense fixed or was it just a simple case of catching USC at the right time last week? Listen, that game was incredible. A lot of questions for USC coming out, but credit to Utah for getting the win. At the same time, when I look back at that game, a couple things stand out. I'll say this. I I don't think it was a particularly great effort from Utah. Utah's a great team, great program. Kyle Winningham is the man. But remember that game. Gave up a pick six, gave up a late punt return to Zachariah Branch that was almost a touchdown. So it was one of those great wins where you can celebrate and you can enjoy it if you're Kyle Winningham, but you can also go to your guys and say, we got a lot to clean up. Then I think also the question becomes, is this offense actually fixed? Or again, were they just playing USC? Because this is a team that has played elite defenses all season long, starting with Florida in week one, uh, UCLA, Oregon State, and they have not had success moving the ball. Even the Florida game, they actually got outgained, even though they won seven offensive points against UCLA, seven offensive points against Oregon State. So they're going to need a better effort offensively, and they better hope that maybe something got figured out at USC and it wasn't a byproduct of just USC being terrible. From the Oregon perspective, listen, I I thought, honestly, given the emotion of two weeks ago at Washington, thought it was a really nice bounce back win last week against Washington State. Wasn't perfect, some mistakes, but Washington Washington State is a very good offensive team. Defense played pretty well, and the offense, frankly, just felt like it didn't miss a beat. 38 points, 500-plus yards of total offense. Bo Nix was great. Bucky Irving, about 130 yards rushing. So just a really nice bounce back win against a good Washington state team overall with Oregon. We've talked about them quite a bit this year. In my opinion, I think they're one of the more complete teams I've seen. Now the most complete team I've seen is Michigan. Maybe we know why, but that's another conversation for another day. But at the same time, Oregon still, even after the loss a few weeks ago, even after Washington state was able to move the ball, they still have a top 20 defense, uh, top five offense nationally, number two, believe it or not right now, Offensive skill players at wide receiver, at running back. Bo Nix is really good. They really don't turn over the ball. So this is a very good, very complete team going to Salt Lake City. Now, in terms of how I expect this game to play out, I'll be honest. This is one of the rare games I don't have a strong opinion on. I will not be betting. One thing about this show, I always try to be transparent with you. I would never tell you to pick a side or take a side that I don't feel comfortable with myself. And this is one of those games. I don't feel great about either side, starting with Utah. Listen, it all comes down to the offense. I, I kind of laid it out, but it is worth noting. This offense, even after last week against USC, as bad as they were, they still rank 100th in the country in total offense, and they still rank 98th in scoring. That's after they put up 30-plus points against USC, 453 yards of total offense. So they are still struggling to move the ball. They have struggled to move the ball all year. And this Oregon defense is elite. As I said, top 20 nationally did it. Remember, they had over 100 more yards of total offense than Washington did two weeks ago. So it's not as though this defense, even against elite competition, has been bad. Now you're going up against great competition in Utah. And so I think I, I think Utah struggles to move the ball. 
Now, from the Oregon perspective, I mean, I kind of just laid it out, right? I'm worried about Utah's offense, so that must mean I like Oregon, but I really don't. It's not that I don't like Oregon. I just, I can't bet them. First off, the six and a half just feels so high. And maybe this results in like a 31 to three Oregon win and we all feel dumb. But six and a half is a lot on the road, especially at a place in Utah. They haven't lost a game there in a very long time. The other thing worth noting on Oregon, I don't think enough people have talked about this. As great as they've been, as great as that offense has looked, they haven't really faced a very good defense all year, right? All the best defenses in the Pac-12. They don't play UCLA. Uh, Oregon State, they obviously play to close the season. They haven't played even, how about this? They haven't even played a top half of the Pac-12 in defense. Colorado, they beat, remember, Colorado literally right now coming into this week has the worst defense in college football. So that's one. They played Stanford. Stanford is ranked 129th nationally in total defense, 11th in the Pac-12, only ahead of Colorado. Washington State, 118th nationally in total defense. Uh, Washington is 86th nationally in total defense. So you haven't played anything remotely resembling a top half of the country or top half of the Pac-12 defense. And so I could see the scenario where they struggle to move the ball against Utah. So if I had to make a pick, I would take Oregon win something like 20 to six, 21, seven, something like that. I don't think it's pretty. I don't think it's great, but I also, I'm I'm not betting against Kyle Whittingham, not at home, not with that crowd going to be a great environment. Uh, You know, it's going to be the big Fox game where, where Joel Klatt, Jenny Taft and, and Gus Johnson are there. Stay away to me. Will not be betting it. I do think Oregon wins. I don't love betting it at that number though. Let's keep it going with the big game, the big one. In Jacksonville, Florida, that's right, the big SEC game, Georgia, Florida, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Georgia, a 14-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Oh, by the way, the over-under, again, want to make sure I got the most accurate number. It is 47 points. Interesting narratives coming into this game. This is college football, right? There's always interesting stuff going on. Georgia, we know what the big one is, right? They lost probably the best non-Marvin Harrison skill position player in college football in Brock Bowers. Hurts his ankle against Vanderbilt, has surgery. Good news is, doesn't feel like he's going to be out the rest of the year. I will say this, though. Georgia's back half of the schedule, all of a sudden it looks a lot tougher than it did a few weeks ago. Missouri's playing well. Ole Miss is playing well. Tennessee is playing well. So it ain't going to be easy for these Georgia Bulldogs. It's not really about that. It's about getting Brock Bowers healthy. But he isn't in this game. And then from Florida's perspective, how about Billy Napier? He hasn't gotten very much Sunbelt Billy lately, has he? Billy Napier in Florida feels like for the first time, maybe some real momentum in that program. They obviously, you know, rally against South Carolina. Incredible win. That's a game that bluntly, I know we got a couple Florida fans that listen to this show. I turned it off. Listen, I'm sorry. I turned it off. If you had it going, if you had it going on in the background, shout out to you because I did not stay tuned to that game. I just assumed it was over. Graham Mertz is playing really well. It's worth noting, by the way, Florida had a great week in recruiting. Number one defensive lineman in the country, LJ McCray. I'm not a a recruiting expert. Number one defensive lineman in the country from the state of Florida commits to Florida. So there's a lot of excitement about the Gators coming into this game. I'm here to say I don't really care. I think Georgia wins big. A couple things here stand out. One from the Florida perspective. As great as that win was against South Carolina, It is important to note a couple things. First of all, South Carolina's defense is abominable. Okay, and we'll talk about that later as they get set to play Texas A&M. 
Um, but South Carolina's defense is abominable. And Florida, bluntly, while they put up 41 points, while they put up 15, uh, 14 points in the fourth quarter to rally to win, it's not as though they were moving. I mean, they, they did have close to 500 yards of total offense, but they only had 71 yards rushing, only two and a half yards per carry in that game. Now, some of it was because of, um, you know, the numbers were a little skewed because there were some sacks that counted towards the rushing yardage. But it's not like they were running the ball down South Carolina's throat, and this is a bad South Carolina defense. So the rally was great. You went on the road. I don't want to discredit you for that. But were you that great, or is the South Carolina defense bad, and you weren't even that good against South Carolina? Beyond that, and I think this is an important piece too, this kind of feels like a game, almost like Kentucky a few weeks ago for Georgia. This is a kind of a game for Georgia. First of all, there's a lot of Brock Bowers talk. How can they, what are they going to do? Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, Carson Beck, not Carson Wentz. Carson Beck has been awesome this year, okay? And I think because Brock Bowers has been so good, because it's the Georgia machine, I don't think Brock Bowers, or not Brock Bowers, I'm tripping over all my names now. Carson Beck is getting the credit that he deserves right now. You know Carson Beck statistically? Here are the stats on Carson Beck, 74% completion percentage, 12 touchdowns, four interceptions. It's worth noting, of those 12 touchdowns, four have gone to Brock Bowers, but of the other eight, they've gone to seven other players. So seven players not named Brock Bowers have caught at least one touchdown this year. So he's spreading the ball around. Obviously, I think they're going to be able to run the ball based on what we saw Kentucky do a few weeks ago. But I think there's some other factors as well, right? I mean, these are the games that Kirby Smart loves. When it feels like there really is some momentum that he can use and, and really say, oh, nobody believes in us. There is the fact that everyone's doubting him without Brock Bowers. Remember, Michigan this week officially became, despite everything going on off the field, Michigan officially became the betting favorite in the betting markets for uh for the the you know the betting markets. Michigan is officially the betting favorite in the national championship. You think Kirby Smart isn't using that? Oh, everybody's doubting us. Everybody's giving up on us. The other thing too, and maybe this means nothing. I think it's an interesting note though. Two off seasons ago, the rule got changed. What was the big argument about playing this game in Jacksonville? Georgia and Florida once every two years lose a recruiting weekend. And Kirby Smart has advocated for this forever. It's like, dude, this is could be our biggest home game. We don't get to bring recruits on campus. Alabama gets LSU every other year. Um, you know, Auburn gets Alabama every other year. Auburn gets us every other year. We don't, we don't get, we don't get Florida. That's not fair. And so two years ago, they started allowing the team that is deemed the home team to bring recruits to this game. Last year, Georgia was able to do it. Now this year, Florida can do it. And I think that's important. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe I'm overanalyzing, whatever, but I bring it up. You don't think that Kirby smart, in the back of his mind, he's like, oh, all those kids from Florida, oh, we're recruiting a lot of them. We're recruiting a lot of them. Maybe they're all here to see Florida. They're decked out in the, their Gators gear. They're on the Gators side of the stadium. Why don't we go ahead and give them a little show that they remember? So, again, we know college football. It's always about recruiting. A few weeks ago when Dan Landing ran up the score on Dion, I said, look, it's about recruiting. It's not about offending Dion. It's about being able to go into all those kids' homes over the next couple of years that you're recruiting against Coach Prime. And being able to say, you know what? He's fun. He's Hollywood. But we got the W on the field. We dominated them. And I do think there's something to that with Kirby. I don't think he's going to try to embarrass Billy Napier. But I think he's going to try to, you know, 
try to shut them out. You know, uh, if it's 28 to six late, maybe throw on an extra score just to let them, just to let everybody know who's boss. So I got Georgia winning. I got Georgia covering. I'll say 31 to 13, a win and cover. All right, good start to the show. So what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back, hit on some of the other big games from across college football this weekend. Ohio State at Wisconsin, Kentucky hosting Tennessee, UCLA. They're actually going to have a real crowd at the Rose Bowl this week. How about that? Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to. Switch gears. I think we'll get to one or two more games here in this segment. Then we'll come back and wrap the rest of the show. A couple interesting games that I do want to wrap with, but two more that I want to do like a real deep dive on. The first one, big game in the Big Ten. Not a lot going on in the Big Ten, at least on the field this week. Now off the field, you know, with Connor Stallions in Michigan, that's a completely different deal. On the field, there really is one marquee game that unfortunately isn't quite as marquee as I was hoping it would be. It is Ohio State going to Wisconsin Saturday night, NBC primetime game. Ohio State, a 14 and a half point favorite. The over under is down to 45 and a half. And when I say it's not quite as high profile as I was hoping it would be, to me, this really goes back to the stuff that we talked about in the really in the summer with our preseason evaluation, our pre what we do in the preseason to get ready for the year. You kind of look at the schedule, see how things break. I remember in July talking about it on this show, but you sat there and said, well, wait a second. They have a big physical home game against Penn state win or lose. Now the following week, they have to go to camp Randall on Halloween weekend in a night game and play Wisconsin. Good luck with that one. Luke fickle will have things rolling by then. And this was one that I really had circled as maybe a potential upset for Ohio state. Instead Unfortunately, it doesn't quite play out like that. To Wisconsin's credit, they're five and two in Luke Fickle's first year. But at the same time, they're dealing with a lot of injuries, most specifically a quarterback. We know about Tanner Mordecai, sixth year senior. He has been out the last couple weeks. And now you have to throw Braden Locke into the fire, a redshirt freshman who transferred from Mississippi State. And to Braden Locke's credit, I mean, listen, he's a young guy. Um, you know, you are who you are. There's nothing you can or cannot do. But it's obvious that just the the inherent knowledge that that um, Tanner Mordecai had, this kid just does not have yet. This kid being Braden Lott through two starts, 370 yards, 51 percent completion percentage, two touchdowns, one interception. But you go back to a few weeks ago when he played in an elite Iowa defense. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. 15 of 30, 122 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception in a 15-6 loss to Iowa. We you know enough people make fun of Iowa. I don't need to do it, but that defense is elite. And so now you're throwing Braden Locke into the fire against another elite defense from Ohio State. And really, when I think Ohio State, like, like, let me go ahead and just I know this is a gambling show, but let's go ahead and give a little bit of credit to Ryan Day, this Buckeyes team, and this Buckeyes defense. I talked about it on the Aaron Torres pod a couple days ago, but it's kind of wild. Because Ryan Day, two years ago, really found himself in the exact same situation that, frankly, Lincoln Riley is in right now. Offense is rolling. Offense is putting up points. But at some point, to have a championship team, you have to address your defense. And at some point, Ohio State was going to have to look themselves in the mirror and say, you know what, we might not always have an elite quarterback. We might not always be able to put up 45 or 50 points. And that's where they see themselves this year. 
They don't have elite quarterback play. Every skill position guy on, on offense is seemingly banged up, including Marvin Harrison, by the way, who isn't playing at 100%. But it's the defense that has been carrying them. This is a defense that the year before Jim Knowles got there was a fringe top 70 defense, bottom half of college football. Last year, top 20. This year, a top five defense pretty much across the board. And let's call a spade a spade. I mean, that defense really won them the game last week against Penn State. On the season, just look at the stats that they have put up, right? You look at their wins, 12 points against Penn State. Obviously, the touchdown came late when the game was essentially over. Seven points the week before against Purdue, 14 at Notre Dame, 10 against Western Kentucky, a good offense. This defense is elite in all phases of the game. And so it'll be interesting to see, one, um, not anything about the defense, but really what I'm curious about for this game from Ohio State is what is Ryan Day's offensive game plan? Because for the first time in his tenure at Ohio State, not only can he lean on that defense, I almost think he has to. And I expect a very similar game plan to that Notre Dame game a few weeks ago. Hopefully, by the way, there's no old Wisconsin coach to call out Ryan Day and get him all riled up. I don't know if Wisconsin has a, their own Lou Holtz. Maybe it'll be Barry Alvarez, a former Lou Holtz assistant. Maybe Barry Alvarez will be doing the Pat McAfee show this week and he'll call out Ryan Day. But the bottom line is like, I, I just look at this game and, and I think we're going to get something low scoring. From the Ohio State perspective, I just don't think you put that much on Kyle McCord's shoulders. Even last week, they didn't put a ton on Kyle McCord's shoulders. Now he made plays, especially late in large part because of Marvin Harrison. But on the road, I think they want to run the ball, and I think they want to keep it low scoring, and I think they just kind of want to get out of there with a win. What will be interesting from Ohio State's perspective again, what are the status of some of those injured players? Emeka Buka, Travion Henderson may be available in this game. Denzel Ward, their top cornerback, did not, not play last week. Denzel Burke, excuse me, Denzel Ward's in the NFL now. So I just bring it up because that, to me, feels like the way this game is going to go down. Close, low scoring. I don't think Ryan Day really tries to open it up. And so because of it, I love the under. This Ohio State defense is elite. I don't think Wisconsin has success moving the ball. Now, I understand they have a good run game, um, you know, at Wisconsin. And, and they've been they've been running the ball very well, especially kind of following the Tanner Mordecai injury overall on the season. I know I just mentioned Bra Braden Locke, but Braylon Allen, Braden and Braylon, uh, uh, Braylon Allen, eight touchdowns this year, 700 yards rushing. I don't think you, I don't think you're able to pick up those yards easily against this Ohio State defense. But let me also say that Luke Fickle defense is playing pretty well as well. They are they are uh, top 25 nationally in yards per play allowed. Also, think it's worth noting. I mean, look at their final results. Outside of going to Washington State, which is a really good team with an elite offense. They haven't given up more than 24 points in any game this season. So I think Ohio State wins. I think it's relative convincingly. I think it's relatively convincing. I tripped up my own words there. My hunch is that we have something like a final score of 20 to 7 Ohio State wins. I expect this to be super low scoring. Um, I think it's going to be super low scoring. I think it'll be a fun game. I think it'll be a great atmosphere but give me Ohio state to win a low scoring game. And I do love the under that's actually my best bet of the weekend is the under in this game. Let's keep it going. You want to speak about great atmospheres. You want to talk about great atmospheres. How about what is going to happen at the Rose bowl of all places on Saturday evening in Pasadena, California, 
Colorado going to UCLA. UCLA is a 17 point favorite in this game. The over under set at 63 and a half. But I know what you're probably thinking. You're sitting there saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. Did you just say great atmosphere, Rose Bowl, UCLA home game? Torres, what are you talking about? Well, have you seen, like, like people that want to say the coach prime effect is made up. It's you guys in the media that are talking about them. Uh, no, this game sold out a week ago. This week, they announced that they are actually take. there's a tarp that is in one of the end zones for UCLA home games that is being taken off because of fan interest. They are saying this could be upwards of 70 to 75,000 people. It will be at minimum the second biggest crowd that they've had since 2016, maybe the biggest crowd, maybe 75, 80,000 people at the Rose Bowl on Saturday. I'll be blunt. I live not that far from there. It's unfortunate because I, well, it's not unfortunate. I'm blessed to do radio on Saturday night's Fox Sports Radio, but man, would I love to be at this game. As far as the game, listen, we, we know the narratives. Colorado's coming off a bye week. And the big story with Colorado is what are we going to get? But more importantly, is there going to be improvement? Okay. There's really nowhere to go but up in a lot of categories. They are the worst defense in college football. They are the most penalized team. And they're coming off that game. We all remember it. Friday night before the bye, they had a 29-point lead against the Stanford Cardinal and blew it and lost in overtime. So in my opinion, there's really nowhere to go but up. I expect them to be much improved. They do, by the way, have a bottom 10 rush offense in college football as well. So really right now, Shador Sanders is throwing the ball really well, really good wide receivers, but they're not running the ball well enough. They're not defending it well enough, and they got to clean up the turnovers. From the UCLA perspective, this is kind of an interesting kind of moment in time for this program, okay? So UCLA, really good defense all year. Hasn't always been the hallmark of Chip Kelly, but a top 10 defense nationally, the number two rush defense in college football. But where it gets interesting for UCLA they're in a little bit of a quarterback conundrum right now, if you will. They started the year with, with a kid named Ethan Garbers. Then they go to Dante Moore, the five-star freshman. I think in Chip Kelly's heart of hearts, he wanted to stick with the freshman, almost like what he did three, four years ago with Dorian Thompson Robinson and really develop with him. By the way, he's a five-star kid, so you don't want to lose him to the portal. But he wasn't playing well, and they went back to Ethan Garbers last week, and he was really good. 20 of 28 passing as UCLA goes to Stanford and smacks a Stanford team that a week before obviously had taken care of business against this Colorado Buffaloes team. So the question becomes, what does UCLA do at quarterback? And I think the bigger question, kind of in the bigger picture of this season, what does UCLA do? What, what happens to UCLA if they get really good quarterback play? Because they're sitting at five and two overall right now. They have elite defense. And they don't really have a pathway directly to the Pac-12 championship game. They don't play Oregon or Washington. They already lost to Utah. But I could see them absolutely winning out. If they get if they get good quarterback play from here on out, I could see them winning out with the schedule that they have. They have both Arizona schools, Arizona, Arizona State. They have Cal, they have USC, and they have this Colorado team. Five of those games, three of those five are at home. USC is the crosstown rivalry game, so they'll have a lot of their fans there. It's a very nice schedule for them if they get good quarterback play. Now, in terms of this game, in terms of a result, listen, I, I UCLA is favored. I think they should be. My hunch is that Colorado covers, though. One, I I, I don't – I think UCLA's got a little bit of an issue with this quarterback situation. 
Because again, you want to get the five-star freshman reps. You don't want him sitting on the bench and starting to think about, is this the right place for me? Should I transfer? Dante Moore is a Michigan kid, easy to transfer home, easy to transfer back to his home state. There will be plenty of opportunities for him. So you want him to be on the field. It's also worth noting Colorado's coming off the bye. And listen, I know every team self-scouts on their bye week, so I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, what Coach Prime did, it's unprecedented. But when you listen to him talk this week, it seemed as though he had a comp- he had confidence. A lot of the things that plagued them prior to the bye week should be cleaned up, less penalties. He's kind of talked about some of the position groups that needed the most work has have gotten them. A couple guys back from injuries. So I expect a much crisper, much cleaner game from Colorado. And then the other thing with Colorado that I do think is worth noting, as good as that defense is for UCLA, great against the run. They're only so-so against the pass. 50th nationally in the pass game for UCLA as opposed to the number two pa- uh, run defense in college football. So Colorado can't run, but they don't want to. Re- they don't really want to even try it against UCLA anyway. I think Shador and those wide receivers put up a, put up some big yards. I think they have success. Give me UCLA winning. The other thing too about UCLA, they're not a team that's just going to pile on the points. Not this year. Last year with DTR and Zach Charbonnet, maybe. But this feels like a, a 34-24 type game. I do think UCLA wins. I'd be disingenuous if I didn't pick them, but I do think Colorado covers. All right, so what I'm to do, take a quick break, come back. We'll wrap the rest of the week. Tennessee, Kentucky, that's a big one. Big one in Lexington. South Carolina, Texas A&M. We'll get to some of the other big games in college football. Quick break. Be right back. All right, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with the rest of the uh, week nine docket. Can't believe we're in week nine. Liked breaking this up into three parts. That's another conversation for another day, maybe with my producer. But I bring it up because I do want to get to the rest of the games this week. Let's start in the SEC. Very interesting SEC East game. Tennessee traveling to Kentucky. Tennessee is actually a three and a half point favorite. The over-under set at 51 and a half. And it's interesting. I talked earlier about the history between Oregon and Utah. Certainly different because those two schools have only been playing for a few years. But the history in this series is very interesting. Let me explain why. Tennessee dominated this series forever, right? Mark Stoops gets to Kentucky 10 years ago. Kentucky right now is in the midst of, of frankly, maybe the best football run most of us have ever seen. Tennessee's been up and down, coaching changes, this and that. So you'd think that Kentucky has had a bunch of success against Tennessee during this stretch. Only that's not really the case. You know, Mark Stoops, this is now year 11 for him. He is two and eight straight up against Tennessee. And what's interesting, how about this? The two wins that Kentucky has, 2017-2020. What do those two years have in common? 2017, season ends with Butch Jones getting fired. 2020, Jeremy Pruitt ends up getting fired. So you can really look at that as one of two things. Either if you lose to Kentucky, you end up getting fired. Or essentially, Kentucky has only won this series when Tennessee is so down that their coach ends up being out at the end of the year. Don't think that's necessarily the case this year. Don't think Josh Heupel is on the hot seat in any way, shape, or form. And as a matter of fact, when I look at Tennessee, listen, I know last week was tough. I know you lose to Bama. I know Tennessee fans are frustrated with the refs. I thought overall it was a great effort from Tennessee. You're up 20 to seven. You're on the road against Alabama. The late strip and score ends up being the the, the death knell. But on the road at Bama, I know this isn't a vintage Bama team. 
But Bama's in control in the SEC West. They're in control to, to get back to Atlanta. And you are right there with them. And I look at this Tennessee thing. I don't know how you can't feel good about the Josh Heupel era right now this second. Because last year you beat Alabama. This year, you're right there with them. You went at Texas A&M, or you went against Texas A&M the week before. I really like where this program is. Now, going into this game, what's interesting about it is I think both these teams profile very similarly. We've talked about it a ton. I'm not going to go through the whole Josh Heupel spiel again. But I've been so impressed by how he has adapted to his talent on this roster, gone away from the high-flying passing attack last year with Hendon Hooker. This year, how about this? The number one rush offense in the SEC. And it's not like they're doing it against just Vanderbilt or whatever. They haven't played Vanderbilt yet. Instead, 232 yards a few weeks ago against that elite Texas A&M edge group or, you know, the elite uh, defensive line, I really should say. And last week at 130 yards plus against a really good Alabama run defense. So they're running the ball against everybody. They're playing really good defense. They're especially good against the run. Overnight, Tennessee turned into a line of scrimmage team. It's important this year specifically, by the way, because it's clear that Josh Heupel does not trust Joe Milton. Um, They were able to get away with it really two weeks ago when they played uh, Texas A&M. Last week, unfortunately, he just was not good enough. 28 of 41, two touchdowns, was good early, was not good late. And again, Alabama gets the win there. From the Kentucky perspective, Kentucky is coming off a bye. They obviously entered the bye on a two-game losing streak. They lose to Georgia. Mark Stoops has those comments. They lose to Missouri at home. But what stands out to me about Kentucky, again, profile very similarly to Tennessee. Tennessee has the number one rush offense in the SEC. Kentucky has the number one rusher in the SEC in Ray Davis. And I think it's been a little bit of a disappointing effort from a high-profile transfer quarterback. In the case of Tennessee, it was obviously Devin Leary. Or in the case of Kentucky, uh, excuse me, it was obviously Devin Leary. Devin Leary, a quarterback that came in with so much hype, so many people, myself included, people that believed in this guy and believed he was maybe, I thought, I'll say it. I thought in the offseason he was going to be better than Will Levis was last year. He has not been good. 54% completion percentage does have 14 touchdowns, but needs to be better. Good news for Kentucky. That run defense is really good. It needs to be against this Tennessee team. And when I look at this game, I'll be blunt. These two teams, Kentucky fans don't want to hear it. Tennessee fans don't want to hear it. It's kind of the Spider-Man meme. Everybody's pointing at everybody else. Great run games, great offensive lines, great run defenses. Don't trust your quarterback. Well, when that's the case, you know what you got to do. You got to take the under. No, it's not sexy, but at the end of the day, look, Josh Heupel is not going to let Joe Milton lose him this game. He just isn't. He'd rather win 3-0 than, than, than let Joe Milton make a mistake. And that's basically how Mark Stoops coaches in every single game that he coaches in. Now, I know Tennessee, statistically, they play at a little bit of a faster tempo, but they really haven't the last couple weeks. Kentucky plays super slow. I think this is a 2017-type game either way. I don't have a strong feeling for who will win. Kentucky, it is a night game. It is worth noting they are off the bye. Tennessee had a bye about three weeks ago. I'm not going to pick it, but I do like the under. I think that's a really smart bet, 51.5. Again, this feels like a 20-17, to 21-14-type game. Give me the under. Let's stay in the SEC. Let's go to a very interesting game. And I think if you were straw polling SEC fan bases that have just kind of quit their coach, South Carolina and Texas A&M might be number one and number two, although Arkansas is coming up fast, although I think Sam Pittman did buy himself a little bit of time. 
uh, by firing Dan Enos earlier this week. Texas A&M hosting South Carolina. Texas A&M a 14-point favorite over under set at 53 and a half. From Texas A&M's side of things, listen, we know the narrative. I think Jimbo Fisher, best time that he could have gotten a buy, get out of the spotlight, no press conferences, no questions, no comments. And now you get, hopefully, you, you're able to get back on track against not a very good South Carolina team. AM's obviously coming into this game off two straight losses, and really both losses felt so similar, right? Defense is great. You have a lead early. Jimbo sits on a bunch of timeouts. He isn't aggressive, doesn't take advantage of some mistakes early. Second half, it's clear he doesn't trust the quarterback. Defense breaks at just the wrong time, and you end up losing two games that you frankly should have probably won at least one of them. So I bring it up because it's disappointing for AM, but at least there is a little bit of a silver lining coming out of the bye. That defense, which was so banged up after the Tennessee game, sounds like those guys might be healthy. Edron Cooper went out. Sounds like he'll be back. Uh, Albert Regis might be back. Walter Nolan, who was carted off, it sounds like might be able to play. Bryce Anderson, really good defensive back, should be playing as well this weekend. So I just bring it up because from the or from the Texas A&M perspective, you finally got healthy, and now you're going to play a South Carolina team that is beat up mentally and emotionally. South Carolina, you don't need me to tell you, they're not very good at anything right now. Shane Beamer's kicking walls. It is bad news bears for these South Carolina Gamecocks. Um, and I think when I watch South Carolina, what stands out, outside of Spencer Rattler running for his life, they're not really good at anything. They have the second worst rush defense, second worst rush running offense in the SEC. Can't block anybody. Defense is the worst in the SEC. I know why Shane Beamer's kicking stuff, and I know why South Carolina fans are mad at Shane Beamer. I watched them against Missouri. Their entire off, they they couldn't keep Missouri out of the backfield. It was scary. Spencer Rattler, I feel bad. I mean, this guy got such a bad rap, or maybe a proper rap at Oklahoma. But he said and done all the right things in South Carolina. He just gets killed back there every time he drops back. So in terms of this game, I'll be honest. I think AM probably wins pretty convincingly. Done betting AM though. I, I, I'm off that train. So instead, I'm going to stick again with the under. It's clear that Jimbo Fisher trusts the defense and doesn't trust Max Johnson. It's cl- I don't think South Carolina is going to be able to move the ball at all. This game feels like a classic, like, 24 to six type game where Texas A&M wins. And even if they win, the fan base doesn't feel great. feels like you left points on the board. So give me the under, I think it goes way under. Cause I don't think South Carolina can move the ball. The question for me, does Texas A&M do enough to at least get the fan base off their back and get, get, get a nice win. couple other score uh, 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 games that are just worth noting really quick. You know, I mentioned off the top, there is a top 25 matchup in the ACC. Duke at Louisville. Louisville is a four-point favorite. I can't bet this game. Duke is so impressive and so well-coached. They had Florida State on the ropes. Riley Leonard goes down last week. We don't know if he's going to play. That makes me feel like I should lean Louisville. I'm done betting against Mike Elko, though. I mean, this guy is a stud. If I had a job opening, I'd offer him $10 million a year. Twenty. Who cares? It's, you know, it's monopoly money in the sec and the big 10 right now, just offer them whatever. So I'm staying away from, from this one. I would lean Louisville. They're coming off a buy. I think you get their best effort. Really interesting game there. A couple other games, you know, uh, Oklahoma on paper, you know, they had to survive last week against, against, um, excuse me, against uh, South Florida, 
They go to Kansas this week, a 10-point favorite on the road. On paper, this is actually probably the toughest game that Oklahoma has left the rest of the year. Now, they do have to go to Kansas. uh, They have to go to uh, BYU late in the year. BYU is not good, but that is obviously a tough place to play. But Kansas football is 5-2. and They are coming off a loss to Oklahoma State. The one thing I will say about Kansas is they can put the ball, you know, they, they can move the football. Um, obviously, Jalen Daniels, you know, he's been in and out of the lineup all year. I do give credit to Jason Bean. I think he's done about as well as you could ask. Five touchdown passes last week against Oklahoma State. Kansas, I'll just say, it has always been a weird place where people struggle. Oklahoma struggled for years there. Jalen Hurts, I remember, I believe it was the Jalen Hurts here. They had to survive at, at Oklahoma. There was one year Charlie Strong at Texas obviously lost at Kansas. So it's a tough place to play. I will not be betting it. I think it's close. Kansas can score and score in a hurry. Stay away to me. Uh, by the way, another SEC game. Auburn is a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Mississippi State. Listen, I, I think Auburn gets the win and the cover. Mississippi State, listen, I watched that 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 Arkansas game. Mississippi State didn't figure out anything against Arkansas. 7-3 was the final score. Arkansas is just that bad offensively. Whenever the the offensive coordinator gets fired after a game, it's not because your defense is elite. It's because they let you down. So my hunch would be to take Auburn there minus the points. USC at Cal. How about this one? Lincoln Riley's been out sick all week. Sick. I'm using air quotes if you're watching on YouTube. Don't know what to make of that. I will not be betting it. Two really bad defenses, by the way. Maybe the over is the play there. Um. Is there anything else that I missed? You know, Florida State, a 20-point favorite at Wake Forest. Wake Forest isn't very good this year, but they historically play teams tough, especially at home. My lean there would be Florida State to cover, but I won't be betting it. Penn State, 32-point favorite at home against Indiana. Indiana coming off a loss to Rutgers. Uh, Penn State, listen, credit to Penn State. When they're expected to win big, they win big. Problem is when they're playing a team as good as them, that never works out well. Clemson, a 10-point road favorite against NC State. No, NC State is not good. By the way, Clemson plays a lot of road games, right? Played at Duke to open the year. Obviously at Miami last week. They play at NC State this week. Feels like they're on the road a lot. Anyway, I'm not betting Clemson anymore. I'm over Clemson. I'm done with Clemson. It's no disrespect. I I don't think Cade Klubnick is that guy. For whatever reason, it is not clicking. By the way, how about this? This is already Clemson's fourth ACC road game this year. Their final, how about that? Final ACC road game. They do end the year at South Carolina. Will not be betting that. Um, And I think that's really it. You know, Washington's, uh, uh, excuse me, who plays Arizona State has an interesting one against Washington State. Uh, Arizona State has quietly been playing pretty well over the last couple weeks. Um, I will not be betting that. Arizona, remember two weeks ago, they beat Washington State. They are at home against Oregon State. A lot of people think Arizona might pull the upset there. So a really good slate of college football. Really good slate of college football. Really good slate. A couple of my favorite bets of the week. I mentioned them earlier. I do like Georgia minus 14 and a half. I do like the under in the Ohio State-Wisconsin game. I like the under in the Kentucky-Tennessee game. I like the under in the Texas A&M-South Carolina game. Also, give me Colorado to cover against UCLA. All right, I think that's it for this episode of College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Do think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure 
to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. YouTube channel is popping, closing in on a thousand subscribers. We appreciate everybody's support there and really excited to keep growing that bad boy college football betting with Aaron Torres. Also, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. The Aaron Torres Pod TikTok page is 